The Annex Wealth Management Show on 92.5 Fox News is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation. Annex Wealth Management is a proud member of the Barron's Top Advisor List and the Financial Times Top 300. Know the difference. It's Team Tech Trust. Good morning and welcome to the show and happy 4th of July. Today we're going to look back on some of our most popular segments from celebrities with no wills to the sandwich generation to planning for business executives. And this one about the mistakes we make each decade of our lives. And here we got a team segment. Randy Winkler, CFP and Manager of Financial Planning at Annex Wealth Management. Randy, welcome back. Thanks. Glad to be here. A recent article caught my eye. Title was The Biggest Money Mistakes by Decade. It's about the decisions that we make or don't make each decade of our life. Right. It's a really interesting subject because there are different phases that you go through and there's different things that you should be doing and things that you shouldn't be doing. Let's run through them. Now, you've seen the results of good and bad planning as you look at portfolios as part of your team. Let's see if we can find some ways to avoid them. In fact, let's flip it around on the positive and talk about how to properly handle these phases. And the first event I think is very interesting. It's childhood. And this is really more for the parents. And this is missing opportunities to educate the kids. Right. It's very interesting in that uh, money is the last taboo, they're calling it. You talk about everything else. You won't talk about money. And that's really doing a disservice to kids because how are they going to learn? They're going to learn as they grow up through painful misadventure. You know, if they don't learn the dangers of credit cards or the power of saving or the power that budgeting can give, you probably are going to find it out in your 30s or 40s because of making painful mistakes that you have to dig out of a hole. But what about even when they're little kids and and kind of making wise choices with their allowances even? Right. That's interesting. And I think people think that kids can't handle it. I can tell personal experiences. My niece and nephew, they were three and five. One sitting on either knee, and I was going through a book that was was called a financial fairy tale, a story of the three little pigs. You know, it was a spending pig, saving pig, and sharing pig, and the big bad wolf was a, a bad real estate developer. And it had questions in there where it's about, is this a want or is this a need? And they were just fascinated and influenced, and my sister just happened to walk in the room and say, since we got the new couch, we really need new drapes. And my niece, who was five, said, do we need new drapes or do you want new drapes? And my sister got this look on her face. I've never thought of it that way. So if a five-year-old can pick it up. An adult can, but if you can start at that age, it's developing the skills and the interest to move forward with that. Let's move into the 20s. One of them is when you get a job, you get involved with that 401k. Yes. And it's funny, I hate to keep bringing it up, but I just had this conversation with my niece. She's got a new job. I asked her, what's your company match? She said, it's 5%. I said, and you're contributing five? She said, no, I'm contributing two. I said, well, you know what we call that at, at Annex? We call it a voluntary pay cut. So I very strongly encouraged her, she's now 24, to use all of the skills that I tried to ingrain in her growing up and say, you got to get to 5% to get the free money. The tough part for people is it's deferred gratification. When you're 20 or 30 years old, you're not thinking about when you're 59 and a half and get access to that money through your 401k. But it's like a snowball rolling downhill. The bigger you can get it going when you're younger. And just a little trick for people is when you get a raise, you get a 3% raise, up your 401k by 1%. It's very simple. And over time, you'll be surprised at how you go from your 5 to 6 to 7. Pretty soon, you're at 20% by the time you're you know, a little bit older. Talking about addressing money mistakes we make by decades. So now into the 30s, 
misplaced spending. What we see here is that there's a big difference between living in the present or living in the future. You have to find a good combination of both. We've seen people that have just deferred gratification. They've saved and saved and they died at a young age and never got to enjoy it. The flip side is the typical American stereotype, spend it all now and then there's nothing in the future. So finding a good mix where you've got to have some discretionary fun money, but don't go over the top. Briefly, do you have a formula for renting versus buying a house? Uh, that's um, also one that comes up every once in a while. Uh, what we've seen where people make a mistake is going by the old way of thinking that renting is bad and buying is good. If you're moving to a new area, we've seen it where people go in and they just buy a house. And then they find, well, this isn't the neighborhood I want to be in. This isn't the community I want to be in. In those cases, often it makes sense to come in, rent for a while, get to know the area, find the community you, that you want to live in before you put down the permanent roots. Now we're into the 40s, and the biggest threat is not saving enough and investing enough. Right. In the 40s, you've kind of settled into your career. You're approaching your peak earning years. You're not quite there yet. You should be building up a pretty good nest egg and thinking about what you want your future to look like. You're not thinking about retirement, but you're planning for it. And you have to take a look at your time frame, where a lot of people get caught up as they think of their money as being all in one bucket. Really, you have to divide it up by your time frame and your goal for it. If you're taking a big vacation this summer, that money should not be in the market. You need it to be very liquid. It's probably in the bank. But the money that you want in your 40s for retirement, which is 20, 30 years down the road, you don't want that in the bank. You want that working for you and taking the appropriate amount of risk for your goal. Okay, now into the 50s, and this is the zone where we really think people need a plan. Correct. This is where you bring everything together, you take a look at it, and you start defining when do I want to retire. And then the most difficult number for most people is what am I going to spend in retirement? What is the expense that the portfolio and the income sources have to support? That's something that we, we work with people and we take a look at it and we give them a, a percentage. Like you have an 85% chance of success based on your inputs, or you've got a 45% chance of success. It's all based around getting the data in there, and you still have time to make the adjustments if you need to. Now we're to our 60s, and again, a big mistake, not having a plan. Correct. We've seen it where people come in, I'm like, hey, I'm retiring in three months. I've decided I want to come in and talk to you people. That's great, you know, because there's so many things that you have to look at when you get to that point where you're looking for your retirement paycheck as opposed to your job paycheck. What order are you going to distribute the assets from which account? You know, when do you start Social Security? Do you need bridge health care? Some very creative things you can do with tax planning and Roth conversions and stuff that we geek out on here all the time. But it can be kind of complicated when people that work their whole life and have been diligent savers and get there and they're like, now what? I'm going from accumulation to distribution. What do I do? Same thing then when somebody gets in their 70s and it says can't outrun inflation and debt. Correct. So what a lot of people think is like in the old thinking was, okay, the older you get, the more conservative you get. You always have to think of buckets. For the money that you need in the short term, you're always going to keep it liquid. Whether you're 20 and saving for a new car or a new house or you're 70 and taking money out to support your lifestyle, you're still going to have a lot of life ahead of you and you've got to keep growing to stay ahead of inflation. Randy Winkler, how does he know all this? Well, he's a CFP and he's a manager of financial planning at Annex Wealth Management. When we talk about the free portfolio analysis, that's your team. Correct. We take a look at uh, whatever you hold right now, and we tell you, how's it working? Is it working well? Is it not working well? Are the fees too high? What is it doing for you? Randy, thanks for joining us. Thanks. Sunday, July 4th. We know you got plans, so thank you for spending time with us this morning. Not having your estate plan sewn up can create huge problems, even when you're a big star. Our estate planning attorney sat down to talk about it with some recent examples of some high-profile people who didn't plan properly. 
There is no shortage of stories about celebrities who die without proper wills and estate plans. Just because somebody's got fame and fortune doesn't mean they avoid making the same kind of mistakes everybody else can make. Jill Martin is a estate planning attorney at Annex Wealth Management. Back to talk about this. Hey, Jill. Hi, Danny. We talk about this stuff all the time, and I wish we had a whole hour, and we wouldn't even come close to all of the celebrity mistakes. Let's concentrate on a few. Absolutely. Sounds right, good. Let's start with the Queen of Soul, Aretha Franklin. So she died her state was estimated to be in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Didn't look like she had a will. So her sons approved a cousin to act as the executor. But then three handwritten, almost illegible documents were found. One, you said, was in a couch cushion? It was. So problem solved. You got a will. Well, you would think, but no, not as easy as that goes, right? So the problem was is did they satisfy all the legal requirements to be a will? Were they executed properly? You need witnesses whenever you write a last will and testament. So it gets to be really messy. And so now they had all of these issues of, are these valid? Which one is the most recent? And what do we follow and what do we do? And she had four sons. One of those sons had diminished mental capacity. And within one of those documents was just a handwritten instruction to, quote, take care of him. That's not enough. That's generally not going to be enough, right? What does that mean? Does that mean give him money? Does that mean hold money for his benefit? And then how do you use that money for his benefit? Too generic. Plus, she had about $8 million in unpaid taxes. So somebody's got to figure out how that's getting paid. Right. Her poor CPA is probably cringing. Unfortunately, celebrities have a lot of issues that surround them. And if you don't surround yourself with good advisors and good people to support that, their issues are going to be magnified. Let's go on to Prince. Prince died with no will, but a massive estate, like hundreds of million dollars, uh, not officially valued. Dozens of claimants surfaced. He's got six siblings. Last thing I saw was so far like $45 million had been spent just on administration, $10 million in legal fees alone. Yes, because there was no will and he had an interesting family dynamic where there were lots of half brothers and half sisters and he had been married and divorced and right. Who are his heirs? That becomes an exercise of genealogy just to figure out who would be a rightful heir to take, which that took years of litigation to sort through in and of itself. You know, the other thing that's really big with his estate is, is obviously music royalties, use of a likeness. How do you value that? The executors for his estate came in and said, we think his whole estate all in is worth, you know, about 82, 83 million. The IRS, after the estate tax return was filed, said, mm, yeah, we think it's about double that. Write us another check for another $33 million in estate tax. So it becomes a really, really difficult thing to plan when you have no idea of the valuation. Larry King recently died. Married eight times, seven women. Sean King, the latest wife, but they were in divorce proceedings, but I guess it was stalled. She was the executor of his estate according to a 2015 will, but now there's a handwritten will that came up from 2019, and it only splits his assets between the five kids, so she's pushing back on that. Larry King Jr. says he's got priority over the latest wife, but the wife says a handwritten will violates two post-nuptial agreements. Right? You can't make this stuff up, can you? I mean, the other part of this is this handwritten will from 2017 was before two of his children had passed away. So now, in addition, he only has three surviving children. So what happens to those other two-fifths? 
it demonstrates that while best laid intentions to get something written down quickly to make sure your wishes are in place is it actually leads to more problems. Tony Shea is not a household name, but he founded Zappos. When he died, he was worth $840 million. And again, you saw this coming. No will. Resident of Nevada. And according to their interstate succession laws, his parents would inherit the entire estate. But there's no records. There's just instructions on sticky notes. He had real estate investments as various LLCs. And there's debt to pay. So his family's going to get nailed with this huge tax bill. Well, and again, it's not the family, right? So if we're projecting his estate to be in the $850 million, dollar range. Take off the debts. The debts will get settled as part of that. But then whatever's left, 40% of that is going to go to the IRS as part of an estate tax payment before the family gets a dollar. You know, how much of that $840 million was liquid? You know, that becomes a really big question. Do you have to sell off a bunch of things? I think I've already seen that they're selling off some of his real estate investments and hotels that maybe he had in Nevada because they need cash. (laughs) So sometimes these documents can really ensnare somebody. Let's talk about Britney Spears. Now, she's still alive, right? But she is the subject of this documentary, and it sounds like everything has gone haywire with her. Yeah, so Britney's in a very different situation, but there are other celebrities that have found themselves in these situations, right? Casey Kasem, Mickey Rooney. What's happened is, is... As they age or they're in a vulnerable state, they need someone who they trust to take over to manage their affairs, their personal decisions, those types of things. And while that is generally someone they select initially, what can happen is is greed and money and power over those people that now have been put into that place can really snowball. And with Britney, you know, I think, you know, there's the documentary, there's all sorts of stuff. You can see the free Britney stuff online all over the place. It's a fabulous read, right? But what it is, is her dad and a corporate organization are conservators to manage all of her finances and to manage kind of her personal calendar and what she can and can't do. And dad has been petitioning all along to be the sole person in charge of her finances. That seems a little greedy, right? And is Britney at the point where she needs a conservator anymore? Right. It becomes a whose pocket are we lining here? So it's not just about making sure that things are in good order, but it's making sure it's people that you trust implicitly that won't suddenly turn on you. At Annex Wealth Management, you don't have to be the queen of soul, the master of purple rain, a successful talk show host, or an internet pioneer. Put things in the proper place with the right kind of estate plan that's part of your larger financial plan. That's what we do. Jill Martin, estate planning attorney, Annex Wealth Management, thank you for your time. You're welcome. Fourth of July weekend, we're looking back at a couple of our most popular segments. If you're caring for aging parents while still keeping an eye on your children, you're in the sandwich generation. It's something we regularly talk about. Deanne Phillips sees it a lot. Welcome back, Deanne. Hi, Danny. So as Director of Client Learning and Development, you're a CFP, CDFA, a Certified Divorce Financial Analyst. You work with a wide variety of clients, and you see it. The sandwich generation can be a tough spot, and we're talking about basically an estimated 9 million sandwich generation caregivers having to care for generations on either side. So you see both. Yeah. So it sounds delicious, but let's define that. What it really means is you've got people usually in their 40s or 50s that are taking care of maybe older parents and sometimes grandparents and either kids or grandkids. So you can have a multi-layer deck sandwich in there, Danny, and you've got people that are trying to juggle their own families and jobs and their own finances and assisting family members. I know you did. You had to go through this. That I is mean, true. You, you've got a teenager and you had an aging mom and an aging aunt. So you 
you were doing this. That is that is very true. And running back and forth, and you know, there's the juggle of you've got, you've got work, and you have to have an understanding workplace. It depends upon your career. A lot of this happens to women tend to be the primary caretakers, and it happens at that prime apex of your career as well, usually, unfortunately. You know, you say primary caretakers, but that doesn't mean full-time caregivers, like somebody employed at a care facility. This is running back and forth, oh, getting getting meds, get, talking with, with doctors. The sandwich generation caregivers are balancing full-time as well, and it's got to impact both sides. Yeah, and you know, it's interesting. New statistics show that a third of those caregivers live in the same house as their parent, or their parent lives with them, and they need to have backup and help for that parent while they're out either taking care of their own family or working. You know, that's kind of the European way, right? Gen- yeah. Generations are under one roof. And the other thing is, is that people are having children sometimes later in life. That's kind of pushing things down the track. So you've got kids as your parents are definitely getting into that age when they really are starting to fail. That is very true. And failing in maybe a different way. It might not be uh, physically failing, could be mentally. So about 25% of dementia caregivers are also caring for children under the age of 18. Now that's a tough thing. You know, let's translate that into what we do here at Annex and what we see as planners and I see as a CFP all the time are people come and they sit in front of me and say, all right, (laughs) I've lived this or I've seen this. How can I not be a burden on my own children? Mm. And that's a really great question. So how can I save? How can I plan for myself? This is really, Danny, where financial planning is so incredibly valuable. You know, at Annex, we look in terms of wealth management. We talk about that's really the holistic look at everything. It's all your financial resources your income, social security, pensions. We look at all the outflows, our needs like housing, food, fuel, and our wants, right? Important. Uh, The travel, the fun money, you know, that we want to do, the entertainment that's in retirement. We plug all that into the financial plan, offset it for inflation, and look at projections of where the assets will go in 10, 20, 30 years. But here's the important thing. Then, We stress test that financial plan. Mm. So we say, all right, we'd all like to live happily and healthily until we're 91 and then, you know, that go in our sleep, right? But we have to actually layer in some reality here that what if, if you're a couple, one of you or both of you were hit with a long-term care need or a premature death? What does that do to the surviving spouse? How does that... Uh, deal with the finances in the plan. So it's really important to stress test that. Sure, because you can chug along. And in my dad's case, I mean, he went well into his mid-80s. It was just those last couple of years when all of a sudden, and he had planned. He was a client. He had planned. And so we knew that if his care cost X, that could be taken care of. And that was that was huge. It is huge. But, you know, I also want to bring up that the care can run the other way also. So we're, we've been talking about aging parents, but there's an awful lot of millennials that are choosing to go back home Mm. in between school or before their career or in between their career. And that can have and put a burden on people that are just pre-retirement as well. So, uh, and and especially it can stress family finances, but we see even more than the finances, the psychological stress. Because parents are sometimes afraid to lay down the law with their adult children and say, all right, let's have some expectations. Let's let's see where they're going to kick in in terms of chores or sharing financially and responsibility around the home. So what we advocate, whether it's uh, looking down at the sandwich or up at the sandwich, right, are family meetings. Really understand before something, I don't want to say disaster, but before a situation strikes, right? Because before your hand is really forced and you need yeah. to make very quick, very rapid decisions, decisions that you might want a little bit more time to take. 
Absolutely. So let's talk about parents for a moment. You know, talk to your parents about their assets. Ask them about how they want to live as they age. Maybe they're not comfortable saying how much money they have. That's fine. But they should be able to share with you, have they done their estate plan? You know, who should make the medical and financial decisions for them if they can't handle their own affairs? Are all the legal docs in place before they're needed, that health care, POA, financial power of attorney, the HIPAA agreements, and the wills? And, you know, speaking of HIPAA and health care, those adult children need that, too, because once they're over the age of consent, the uh, health care facilities don't need to contact parents. It takes planning. It takes a pro like Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only fiduciary. Deanne Phillips, Director of Client Learning and Development, a CFP and a CDFA, and a veteran of a sandwich generation situation. <laughs> uh, thank you for joining us. In the middle there. Thank you so much for having me, Danny. Happy Fourth of July. Thanks for listening. Annex Wealth Management has a wide variety of clients, including executives who can tend to have complex planning issues that we're qualified to address. Joining me is Brandon Lehman, a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management. Hey, Brandon. Hey, Danny. Uh, you work with a wide variety of clients, but some tend to be executives and business owners, and they can have specialized needs. So let's talk about four key discussion points and what our Annex Executive Program can do for these individuals. And the first off is stock options and the need for a strategy. Stock options are a fairly common component in high-level executive compensation. Is that right? That is correct, yeah. A lot of individuals you encounter that work in the executive space are given the opportunity to buy stock through a stock option plan. And one of the things we've ran into a lot over our time working with these individuals is they never develop a true strategy for it. They tend to maybe wait till expiration and just kind of, okay, then we should exercise. And there's a lot more to it. So we like to sit down and maybe develop a strategy that's based on more than just what the stock is, but the volatility maybe of that firm. We look at their tax plan, but most importantly, we look at their financial plan. How does all of this impact them? in their future goals, because sometimes it makes more sense to do it earlier than anticipated. Sometimes it does make more sense to do it right at the end, but every individual is different and every situation is different. So we really need to spend time getting to know that situation and do what's best for them. Because again, everyone is completely different. Great stock option is lower than the actual price of the stock, right? That's the deal. So the goal is when they, they give you it, you want to have an increase in the value of that stock. So you know they give it to you at 10 and now it's up to 20. That's a great opportunity for you now, there's tax implications, and you can't get away from that, but we can work through that, and we can plan for it. And that's the key is you have to have a plan. Annex Executive provides guidance for net unrealized appreciation, and this is important, you told me, because it can be a unique one-time planning opportunity. That sounds complex. Net unrealized appreciation, or NUA as we call it in the industry, is a great opportunity for an individual who owns a lot of their company stock inside of 401k. And people don't really think about that. It's not offered all the time, but at some firms, that is an opportunity. You can buy your firm stock inside your 401k. Now, what the IRS allows is you can move that outside of your 401k and take advantage of the tax situation there and move that to a bucket where you can realize it at long-term capital gains. And why is this important? Because when you retire, you hit that valley. All of a sudden, the income's down, the taxes are down, and we want to create a situation where we can start maybe doing Roth conversions, and this plays into it. The other key aspect of getting it out of the 401k and moving it into maybe a joint account is now at 72, you have reduced what you need to take out for RMDs or required minimum distributions. And again, that can be a pain point for a lot of individuals, depending on the size of that stock position. So, But it depends on the situation. That is key. 
Brandon Lehman is a CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, joining us to talk about our Annex Executive Program and how it can help business owners and executives. Let's talk about tax preparation. We're not talking just about getting the returns done on April 15th. This is year-round stuff. Yeah, when you think about taxes, you think about compliance, reactive planning. Sometimes individuals, especially small business owners, executives, doctors, high-income earners, need to understand that the tax picture and planning is a year-round process. There's a lot of different components that come in, and that's why here at Annex and our tax team, we build out the individual tax plan all year long. We look at multiple things, not just last year's tax return, but we look at your pay stubs. We look at, again, when we talk about executives and compensation planning, we look at what type of income do you have this year from bonuses to those different types of situations, and we build that out. So all year long, you understand what next April potentially could look like. It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to give you a direction and give us the opportunity to plan and proactively plan around your unique tax situation. The Annex Executive Program can certainly help when there are questions about deferred comp, deferred compensation. Well, deferred compensation, it's a great benefit for individuals, but understanding how it can work is very important. You think about how deferred compensation is set up, and really nobody understands it, but what the company is doing is they are passing the risk on to you. That's why they can offer such a benefit. So we like to sit down with each individual and say, does this make sense for you now? Can you utilize it? And you live in a place where there is no tax laws, but you decide to move to a place where there is future tax laws, you need to understand how that is going to impact your deferred compensation payouts in the future. Business executives, business owners, put the Annex executive team to work to handle your unique financial planning needs. Brandon heads the effort at Annex, ready to roll up his sleeves for you. Brandon Lehman, CFP and a wealth manager at Annex Wealth Management, part of our Annex executive program. Brandon, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Danny. Well, that's it for the show this week. Hope you enjoyed it. If we can help, our website is AnnexWealth.com. You click the Get Started button. Happy Fourth of July as we live in the greatest country on earth. The Annex Wealth Management Show is hosted by Annex Wealth Management, a fee-only registered investment advisor. Important information about the qualifications and business practices of Annex is available at AnnexWealth.com. Different types of investments involve varying degrees of risk. Please consult with a qualified fiduciary advisor about your specific situation.